All right, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. John chapter 12, we'll be reading verses 1 through 8. This is God's word. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge over the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you that it is indeed a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray, Lord God, that you would shine the light of your truth through the word into our hearts so that we might see you more clearly, so that we might hear the gospel as if for the very first time today, Oh, Lord, we need your Spirit to accomplish this. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you are saying in your word and what you are saying to us in our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. When In the fourth century, it was very, very difficult to join the church. Now, at Pinewoods Church, we have a pretty simple membership process. We have a new members inquirers class, which, did I happen to mention, will be taking place tonight from 5.30 to 7 at our house. Be there or be square. Details are in the bulletin. Everyone who decides to join the church is interviewed by two elders to talk about your Christian testimony. The elders will then vote and decide whether or not you are ready to become a member of Pinewoods Church. And then we formally receive you into membership on a Sunday morning. Every new member that decides to join the church essentially has to make five promises. Number one, I am a sinner. Number two, I am looking to Jesus for my salvation. He is the Savior of sinners. Number three, I will try with God's help to do what the Bible says. Number four, I will support the church in its worship and work to the best of my ability. And last but not least, number five, I will do my best to live in peace and in harmony with the other members of Pinewoods Church. In other words, confession, profession, and non-aggression. That's it. If you can agree to those five things, you can be a member of Pinewoods Church. The whole process from start to finish usually takes about a month or two, depending on how many people are joining the church. 
Well, back then, in the early centuries of the church, the whole process of joining could take years. Candidates would study, they would be mentored, they would be tutored and examined. It was a little bit like attending a three- or four-year seminary program. The final stage of that process was called Lent. Forty days of preparation leading up to the person's baptism on Easter Sunday. During Lent, it was customary for new member candidates to spend those 40 days fasting, which is where we get the whole idea of giving up something for Lent. In our day, people usually celebrate Lent by giving up things like chocolate or candy or Starbucks or Facebook or Instagram so that they can spend the weeks leading up to Easter Sunday focusing more intentionally on Jesus and the gospel. Now, sometimes that's a good thing. Without all the distractions that come from living in the modern world, many people find it much easier to draw closer to God in worship and in prayer, both collectively as a congregation on Sunday mornings and and individually in your daily devotional times of prayer and Bible reading. Sometimes it doesn't quite work out as well as we intend it to work. This week I was reading a story about a father who went to his son and encouraged him to give up something for Lent. Now normally this son would give up candy for Lent, so 40 days without candy, which granted is pretty difficult for a 10-year-old. But this year the dad wanted to push him a little bit and he said, hey, how about this? Why don't you give up fighting with your brother for Lent? Sort of a win-win situation if you ask me, but the, the son agreed. Now, 20 days into Lent, halfway through, the father took his son and said, How's it going? How how is your Lenten process going? And the son said, It's going pretty good. I haven't had any fights with my brother, but I can't wait until Easter Sunday. (laughs) Here's the question. What would you give up in order to find the meaning of life? What would you give up to find true love? What would you give up to find your why, your purpose in life? What would you give up to find everlasting life? What would you give up to find never-ending joy? Do we have to give something up in order to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus? I thought the gospel was free. Now, granted, I didn't read all the terms and conditions before I clicked accept, but this sounds like a real curveball, Pastor Joel. I thought the gospel was about what he's done for us, not about what we have to do for him. What are you saying? Well, these are some of the questions we'll be asking this morning as we begin to look at the last week of Jesus' pre-resurrection life on earth. Two weeks ago, we were there with a front row seat as Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. It was his last great miracle. And surprisingly, not only was it his most spectacular miracle, it was also his most controversial miracle. After Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, many people believed in Jesus and received him as their Lord and Savior, 
and many others refused to believe. In fact, they were so vehement in their unbelief that they made plans to put Jesus to death. At the end of our last chapter, in John 11, verse 57, we read, Now the chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had given orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. It's against that background, the valley of the shadow of death, that we meet a woman who gave up everything for Jesus only to discover a Savior who gave up everything for her. This is the story of two broken vessels. It's a story about sacrificial love, extravagant grace, and boundless gratitude. It's a story about life and death. It's a story about the choices we make. It's a story about worship. It's a story about ignoring the critics. It's a story that is so beautiful, so poignant, so profound, so uplifting that Jesus said in Mark's account of this, Truly, truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. How's that for a legacy? There are many people in the world today who have no idea who George Washington was. Many of them are college graduates. There are people who have never heard of Elon Musk or Steve Jobs. If you asked me to name the current president of Albania, I couldn't give you an answer. I don't even know if they have a president. Prime minister? King? No idea. Who is the most popular singer in all of Italy? Who's the most famous actor in all of Nigeria? I have no clue. No idea. But there are Christians in Africa today who know Mary's name. There are Christians in China today who know exactly what Mary did. There are little kids on Native American reservations up in Yakima, Washington, who are hearing this story as told by our friend, Pastor Josh, and they are just as amazed as we are down here in Pensacola, Florida. So what happened? Why did it happen? And why does it still matter 2,000 years later? Well, these are some of the questions we'll be asking as we walk through one of the most famous stories in the whole Bible, the story of Mary who anointed Jesus for his burial by exchanging her greatest earthly treasure for something even better than that. If you're taking notes, here's our outline. I want us to ask four big questions about what happened on the the night of the world's most famous Wednesday night worship service. What, What happened then, and why does it still matter today? First, what did Mary give? What did Mary give? Second, we're going to ask, why did Mary give it? Third, we're going to ask, what did Mary receive? And then finally, how do we receive it? So what did Mary give? Why did she give it? What did she receive? And how do we receive it? Are you ready? 
All right, I'm going to take those blank stares as indications that you are, because either way, we're going to get started. Let's begin. First big question, what did Mary give? Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, beyond the, the cost of the perfume itself, which was very, very expensive, I think that Mary gave Jesus at least three things. The first thing that, he gave, that she gave Jesus was her dignity. In the first century, women couldn't just walk into dinner parties with men unless they were explicitly invited or they were serving the meal. That's why Martha was there. She was serving the meal to Jesus and Lazarus and the rest of the dinner guests. Now, I'm not endorsing that idea. I don't think Jesus is endorsing it either, but I'm explaining it to you because it helps us see just how shocking this was. Back then, men and women didn't socialize with each other in public gatherings. That sort of thing just simply wasn't done. And yet, here's Mary, not merely stepping over, but bounding over that invisible, traditional, cultural line in order to honor Jesus. She would be slandered. She would be gossiped about. She would be derided. She would be shamed. She would get the whole prayer request that's not really a prayer request treatment. You know those prayer requests where you're not really, uh, you're kind of more sharing information than uh, asking for a request, you know. Please pray for, pray for Bob, you know. He fell off the wagon again, you know. Or uh, please pray for Jane. You know, her husband uh, left and ran off with the secretary. That would have happened to Mary in this story. People would have said, oh my goodness, do you believe what Mary did? She came right into the feast and she, she exposed her hair and she washed Jesus' feet. Shocking. This would be the talk of the town everyone would know, and not in a good way. Mary didn't care about any of that. She said, my, rep my reputation means nothing to me if it keeps me from Jesus. My traditions mean nothing to me if they keep me from Jesus. My honor means nothing to me if it keeps me from Jesus. Now, with all of that, here's a question for us, not only as individuals, but also us as a church. Are you, as an individual, willing to sacrifice your honor and your dignity in order to meet with Jesus? Now, when I ask that question, I'm thinking about two things in particular. First, how hard it is to admit that we're wrong. And second, how hard it is to ask for help. Now, now maybe, it's a, maybe it's a guy thing, maybe it's a me thing, maybe it's a trike family thing, maybe it's a, a universal thing, but I really have a hard time with this. 
It's very humbling to say, God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. Even on my best day, as hard as I try, even my good things that I do are stained with sin. I need your salvation. You're my only hope. It's very humbling to say, God, I can't fix myself, much less other people. I can't fix this situation. I can't fix this relationship. I've had 10 ideas. I tried them all. They didn't work. Help me. Maybe sacrificing your dignity to meet with Jesus looks like a dad sitting with his wife and his kids on a Sunday morning, singing all of the songs a little bit off-key for all they're worth, (laughs) knowing that your kids will remember that for the rest of their lives. Maybe sacrificing your dignity and your honor to meet with Jesus means loving and serving the most undignified people. Little people with goldfish crumbs all about their face and their shirts and all the rest. Maybe it means loving and serving and giving to Come alongside someone who's in a nursing home or in a hospital room, who's at the lowest point of their life, who's just feeling absolutely devastated or destroyed. There are a lot of dignified people at this dinner party with Jesus. Do you want me to list their names? I can't. Because they kept their dignity. Because they kept their traditions. What a tragedy. What a missed opportunity to go to your grave dignified and unremembered. Are we as a church willing to make new traditions if our old traditions are keeping people from meeting Jesus? Easier said than done. I am more than willing to give up your traditions. No problem at all, man. But my traditions, I like those. That's a lot harder to give up. Am I willing to do that for the sake of the kingdom? Am I willing to lay down my dignity? Mary did. She gave Jesus her dignity. What about you? Are you willing to give him your dignity, your name, your reputation? Are you willing to put that in the offering plate this morning? Now, all of a sudden, throwing a couple dollars in there doesn't seem like such of a big deal compared to that. Well, what else did she give up? She not only gave up her dignity, she gave up her security. John tells us that Mary was carrying a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Now, nard was a perfume that had to come from the Himalayan mountain regions in India, roughly 2,800 miles away. Now, just think about that. That that perfume, that ointment, had to travel by hand and by horseback from India to Israel over some of the roughest terrain in all of the world. Later, we're told in the story that that perfume, that ointment, was worth around 300 denarii. Now, 300 denarii was roughly uh, one year's wages back in the first century. I looked it up, and the median income, household income, of Pensacola is $53,876. 
So Mary gave Jesus a jar of perfume, a jar of ointment, that was worth over $50,000. This wasn't Axe body spray. This wasn't Chanel number five. This was Chanel 50,000. You could not buy this at Walmart. Not available in any store. Since most people in the ancient world didn't have anything in their house that was worth a year's salary, we can safely assume that this was a family heirloom. Something that had been passed down for many, many generations. This bottle of perfume probably belonged to Mary's great-great-grandmother. It represented the, entire, the family's entire savings. It was their 401k. If someone in the family died, someone like Lazarus, who is probably the breadwinner for this family, because usually men were the breadwinners in their family back then. If someone like Lazarus were to die, they would have sold this bottle of perfume and used the money to take care of Mary and Martha for literally the rest of their lives. Now, with all that as the background, what did Mary do? Did she take the perfume and dab a couple of drops on Jesus' head? Full disclosure, that's probably what I would have done, and I would have felt very good about myself. I would have said, look how generous I am. I got out the $50,000 bottle of perfume, and I put just a little bit on Jesus' head. Mary broke the bottle. She poured the whole thing on Jesus. Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 apostles at that time, said, verse 5, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then John adds, parenthetically, verse 6, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. This week I found a great quote from James Edwards. He writes this, The world has never had a problem with religion in moderation. I mean, he's right, isn't he? I mean, Judas Iscariot, even with his nefarious motives, was just saying what everyone else was thinking. This is too extreme, Mary. This is too much. This is too generous. Haven't you heard about tithing? Haven't you heard about 10%? You can't, how are you going to retire? How are you going to live into your old age? Who is going to take care of you? By breaking this jar of perfume, Mary was saying, God will take care of me. She was saying, this vessel isn't my security. Jesus is. Do you believe that? Man, we say we do, but, but do you really believe that? Now, I'm not asking you to cash in your 401k and put the money in the offering plate, though, you know, if you did, I wouldn't stop you by any means. But I'm asking, is Jesus your retirement plan? Is Jesus your source of security. It's important to know because money will always provide the illusion of security. But Jesus provides the real thing. There's more. What else did Mary give Jesus? She gave him not only her dignity and her security, she gave him her heart. In this story, Mary did something very shocking. Not only did she let down her hair, she used her hair to dry Jesus' feet. 
In the ancient world, most women covered their hair in the presence of men. Letting your hair down was a sign of of great intimacy. It meant you were letting people see something very personal and very private, something that was only reserved for your closest family members. In the ancient world, the people that would see your hair, if you were a woman, were your husband and your children, and that was all. And when Mary let her hair down, she was saying, Jesus is more than a dinner guest. He is, but he's so much more than that. Jesus is not only my friend, he is, but he's so much more than that. Jesus is not only my rabbi, my teacher, he is, but he's so much more than that. Jesus is a member of my family. Jesus has my heart. Do you have that kind of relationship with Jesus? I mean, you're here today, so you're at least willing to give Jesus a couple hours on Sunday morning. But are you willing to give Jesus your heart? Are you willing to let Jesus see who you really are, warts and all? Now, many of us are unwilling to give Jesus our heart. We're scared to give Jesus our heart because we're afraid that he'll reject us. There are still uh, remnants and vapors of that old legalistic mindset where we think that God only accepts the worthy. It's not true. God's love makes us worthy. So let down your hair. Break your, your precious vessel. Give Jesus your heart, your security, your dignity, your everything. That's what Mary gave to Jesus. Now the question is, second big question is, why did she give it? Why did Mary give Jesus this precious vessel? Well, I think there are actually about two things that are motivating her. The first is faith. Verse 7, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now, most of the commentators that I read this week are under the assumption that Mary had no idea what she was doing here. And, you know, she knew that she had to somehow honor Jesus or anoint Jesus. She probably knew that there was something that she was supposed to do, but she really had no idea of the significance of this event. Well, I politely disagree. I think she knew exactly what she was doing. I think she knew exactly what she was doing in preparing Jesus' body for burial. Now, why would I say that? Because Jesus made it abundantly clear that he was going to die, he was going to be buried, and that he would rise again from the dead. Here it is from Mark 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 31. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And it adds in verse 32, he said this plainly. Now the apostle Peter heard this and in a couple verses he starts rebuking Jesus. No way Jesus, you're never going to die. This is not part of the plan. James and John who were two of Jesus's closest disciples, John being the person who's telling us this story, they didn't believe it. Thomas, doubting Thomas, ever the pessimist 
sort of believed it, but he was under the impression that they were all going to go to Jerusalem and that they would all be crucified together. He was sort of a glasses-half-empty type of person. So if that's you, you have an apostle with you in spirit, the apostle Thomas. Mary was the one person in Jesus' inner circle who believed. She was the one person in Jesus' inner circle who had faith. Sometimes we think that the great heroes of the faith have to be great scholars People who have more degrees than Fahrenheit. We think that the great heroes of the faith are the people who have the biggest churches. We think that the great heroes of the faith are people that moderate general assemblies. The great heroes of the faith are the people with the most Twitter followers and the most YouTube subscribers. Do you want to be a hero of the faith like Mary was? Listen to Jesus and believe what he says. Now that's easy in theory, but it can be very difficult in practice because Jesus is going to tell you to do a lot of things that are hard to do. He's going to tell you to believe things like, I don't know, the resurrection that are a little bit hard to believe. The world will think you're crazy. A lot of church people will think you're crazy. You're a fanatic. You're taking this too seriously. You really need to get out more and expose yourself to different people and different ideas. Don't worry about them. Don't listen to them. Listen to Jesus. That's the heart of faith. But beyond faith, there's something more than this. I think Mary was also motivated by love. Now, in Jewish culture, caring for the dead was, and probably still is, the ultimate expression of love because it's the one good deed that can't be reciprocated. It's the one good deed, the one debt, that cannot be repaid. Mary broke her precious vessel as the ultimate expression of unconditional love. You will never break your jar until you love Jesus unconditionally. You'll always hold something back. A little bit of your time, a little bit of your money, a little bit of your energy, a little bit of your hospitality, a little bit of your heart. The world will say, hey, that's what you should do. Be moderate. Be reasonable. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to the critics or the scolders or the second guessers. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Smash the jar. Give Jesus your everything. You'll never love him unconditionally until you smash your jar. But the good news of the gospel is you can do that. You can love him unconditionally knowing That he loves you unconditionally. You were made to be poured out. When you're poured out for Jesus, you will not be empty. When you're poured out for Jesus, he will fill you with his Holy Spirit. Third big question, what did Mary receive? Now the beautiful irony of this is that Mary received everything that she gave and more. That's how the gospel works. 
You can't outgive God. You can't outlove God. You cannot outserve God. Mary gave Jesus her dignity. She got it back. Here's what Jesus said from Mark's account of the story. Again, Mark 14, 9. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. How's that for dignity? How's that for honor? How's that for a legacy? Mary gave up her security. She got it right back. Did Mary have an inheritance without the perfume? She did. Did Mary have a secure future? Of course she did. Could anything separate Mary from the love of God in Christ Jesus her Lord? Of course not. She was united to Jesus by faith. And when you are united to Jesus by faith and by love, you will be united with Jesus forever and ever. Mary gave Jesus her heart. She got it back. Again, here's Mark's account of the same story, Mark 14, 6. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. Could Jesus have said that if he didn't love Mary? He looks at at what she's done and says, this woman is beautiful. Her heart is beautiful. Her actions are beautiful. Here's a quote from the great Jim Elliott, missionary. He wrote this in his journal. It's a famous quote. He wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. My friends, we cannot keep our precious vessels, whatever they may be. But when we exchange them for Jesus, we receive the precious vessel, which is his body, which is something that we can never lose. That leads us to the most important thing that Mary received, and that is Jesus himself. Verse 8, Jesus said, For the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Mary treasured Jesus more than her perfume, more than her dignity, more than her security, more than anything else in all of the world. And in the end, she received someone who treasured her more than anything else in the world. Why is this scene so poignant? Why is this scene so beautiful? Why do we remember what Mary did 2,000 years after the fact in this little rumble-down house in the little tiny city of Bethany, somewhere outside of Jerusalem? Why? Because it is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. What Jesus did for Mary is so beautiful and so profound. And what Jesus has done for us is so beautiful and so profound. Because on the cross, Jesus broke the precious vessel that was his body. Mary said, this is my perfume given for you. Jesus says, this is my body which is given for you. 
When Mary broke her precious vessel, the room was filled with the aroma of her love for Jesus. When Jesus broke his precious vessel on the cross, the entire world was filled with the aroma of Christ, the aroma of his unconditional love for us, his children. When Mary broke her precious vessel, the perfume poured down Jesus' head and down over his beard and onto his shoulders and chest and his feet. When Jesus broke his precious vessel, his blood poured down over our heads and shoulders and chests and arms and legs and feet, washing away our sins forever. That leads us to our fourth question, last one. We'll close with this. How do we receive this? Well, with respect to the writer of the old hymn, the good news of the gospel is not that I surrendered all. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus surrendered all for me. Jesus broke his precious vessel in order to make us whole. How do we receive it? Well, we receive it the same way that Mary did. One word. Believe. We believe in Him. We turn from our sin. We turn to Him in faith. And we receive the grace that He died to give us when He died on the cross in our place for our sins. Once you do that, once you believe in Him like Mary did, You can break your precious vessels as acts of worship, knowing that you have everything to gain and nothing to lose. So we close with one simple question. It's a very simple question, but it's a very difficult question. And it's this. Have you broken your precious vessel? Whatever it is that is the most precious thing in the world to you, are you willing to to break it and lay it down at the foot of Jesus? If not, what are you waiting for? Let's go to Jesus in prayer. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for your grace which covers our sins We thank you for your love, which fills our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would have the courage to do what Mary did, that we would be so filled with love for you, so deeply rooted in faith, that we would take our most precious possessions, whether they be material or relational, and lay them down at the foot of the cross. We pray, Lord God, that we would become the aroma of Christ in the world. That when people see us and encounter us, they would see not perfect people, but imperfect people who have been made whole through your precious blood, Lord Jesus. Lord, this prayer is a huge prayer. This is an, an outlandish request. And yet we make it not in our own name, but in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. For it is in his name that we pray, amen.